Hi, and welcome to Follow's weekly message podcast. Thanks for joining us. We hope this message inspires you and helps you follow Jesus in your community for His glory. Here's the message. I love this time of year because it's a time of new life. As I walk around our neighborhood, there are a number of lakes. And this time of year, there are lots of proud new mother ducks. They're floating on the water, their chest kind of puffed out proud with their little fluffy ducklings following close behind them. At Lakeside, there's been one celebrity swan that's been nesting on a really big nest at a prominent part of the lake. And as I've walked around, I've seen that people have congregated and taken photos. And as they've watched on with interest, we've all kind of eagerly awaited the coming of these babies. It's a little bit like the royal family. And of course, now that they've finally come, the whole community has become involved in it and it's somewhat of a community celebration. And as I walk around all the various lakes on my morning walks, I'm seeing lots of little ducklings at the moment. If you're a farmer, maybe you're on a farm, you're probably seeing at the moment new lambs or foals. And for the rest of us, everyday people in our suburbs and towns, everywhere we look, there is new growth on the trees. And it reminds us that every season is followed by a new one. And for me, it's also a real visual reminder in creation that God's mercies are new every morning. And I think that's really important in this particular season, because let's be honest, 2020 has been a heavy year right around the world. Many of us here in Victoria have been weighed down by coronavirus and all the restrictions and the resulting trauma that this year has caused for so many people. If you're anything like me, you've probably had moments where you've felt sad or discouraged, worried, alone, fearful for the future, weighed down, maybe even overwhelmed. Perhaps you're still experiencing some of those emotions. Well, in recent days, we've had some good news here in Victoria, haven't we? Some of the easing of restrictions, businesses reopening, and the daily cases are now under the magic number of five. And with that comes renewed hope that life will start to get moving again, even if normal may look a little bit different for a while. And so I think now is a really good opportunity for us to kind of lift our eyes and to emerge from the thick fog of this year with renewed faith and anticipation for what is to come and for what God is going to do in and through this season. Because we know, don't we, that we have a God who can work all things together for good for his people. And just as the seasons of weather change, so too do the seasons of life. And we're now coming into a new season. And I think it's fair to say it's like a season we've never known before. It's got lots of question marks. What will life look like post-COVID? Will people want to gather in large groups? What challenges are people going to be facing? What does it mean for us, the church? Will people want to come to church? Are people completely out of the rhythm of gathering together? Will it be a priority anymore? Or has this time shaken people's faith? Well, I think all these questions could fuel a sense of fear and doubt, but I believe there's actually better questions to ask that could instead spark faith and hope. Because with every crisis comes great opportunity. And with every new season, there is new life. And so perhaps some of the better questions could be questions like, what is God doing right now? What is he saying to us in this season? What can we learn and what opportunities will we have to share the good news of the gospel in such a difficult time? In what ways does God want us to to grow deeper in relationship with him and with one another? In many ways, it's a God-given opportunity to stop, to reassess, and to reimagine what God has called us, his church, to be. One of the things I love about God is he's a God of the new. He's always doing new things, even in those seasons when we can't see it. 
You know, difficult times for God's people are nothing new. So we read through the Bible, it's full of ups and downs, moments of great triumph and abounding joy, but also times of great defeat and deep despair. In recent weeks in the BIOY reading plan, I've reread through the book of Isaiah. And as I read through that prophetic book, God reminded me that difficult times happen in life. Sometimes they're our fault, sometimes they're not. But even in those times, we don't have to fear because we are God's people. And as chapter 44 of Isaiah reminds us, he's our king and redeemer. He's the first and the last. He created all things and he's coming back to recreate all things. And he is in control. And with that comes great comfort, doesn't it? That wherever we go, we have a God who is with us. He is our ever-present help in time of need. And so as I read through Isaiah, God spoke to me most profoundly through chapter 43, which I found to be full of all these little nuggets of hope for a time such as the one we're going through. And in order to understand why those little nuggets were so profound, we need to first understand something of the context that it was spoken into. The prophet Isaiah, inspired by God, spoke these words into a season of great difficulty for God's people. The prophecy of Isaiah 43 was spoken at a time when God's people were in isolation. Now, we've experienced a little glimmer of this in recent months, haven't we? We've been stuck in our homes and uh, not being able to travel further than 5Ks and see family and friends and grandchildren and all that stuff. But these people in Isaiah had it a lot worse than we've had it. In fact, they had been exiled completely from their home city of Jerusalem as a punishment for their idolatry, uh, for their injustice, and also for their disobedience to God. The prophets had been sent by God and they'd warned them continually that if they didn't return to God, they would face judgment. And this now occurred when the people of God were defeated by the Babylonian army who came into the city, destroyed it, and carried them off as captives into Babylon. Now, when this first happened, it would have been absolutely devastating. I want you to imagine people coming into Melbourne, just destroying the city, tearing down the building, setting things on fire, and then taking us from our homes by force to live in a foreign land. That would be pretty traumatic. In fact, I would say for many people, that would be the worst case scenario. Now, by the time we get to chapter 43 of Isaiah, God's people had been exiled in Babylon for almost 60 years. A whole generation had passed since they'd been carried away from Jerusalem. Many of the older generation would have died in Babylon and God's people were now very much settled there. The memories of the past, both good and also bad, had likely faded away for this new generation. And instead of being lived experiences, most of those would have been stories passed on from their parents and their grandparents. You know the sort of stories, don't you? You know, when we were young, you know, the milk bottles used to be delivered with the horse and cart and our fish and chips used to be wrapped up with old newspapers and and all that sort of stuff. I, I heard a guy on Talkback Radio a few years ago reminiscing about his childhood and he how he used to take 10 cents down to the local milk bar and he would come out with this big whopping bag of mixed lollies. And so for old time's sake, he stopped his car the next time he saw a milk bar and he went inside and he gave the guy behind the counter 10 cents and he said, I'll have 10 cents worth of mixed lollies. Thank you. And the guy handed him two lollies and said, mix them yourself. <laughs> and so on radio, he told this story about life in the good old days. And I'm sure the older generation in Babylon had passed on the stories of life back in Jerusalem to the younger generation. But many of the people left at this time would have been born in Babylon. And this new environment was all they'd ever known. And even though they were captives, it was, well, it was their home. Now, from what we read, they appear to have had 
lots of opportunity to enjoy the benefits of Babylonian life and the freedom to even maintain their religious life without the temple. Uh, Babylon was also a very lush and prosperous place and there was opportunity for these people who had settled there to work and receive income and life was fairly comfortable. In contrast, Jerusalem had been destroyed and then taken over by foreign countries and it was a dry, parched place with very little opportunity to make a living from the land. And so when Isaiah speaks this part of the prophecy, it would appear that God's people had no immediate, if any intention at all, of returning to Jerusalem. And so this is the context. This is the situation these people were living in. And so we get to these words that were read out this morning, and there are three key statements that God speaks through the prophet to his people, which were both a challenge and an encouragement for them, just as they can be for us in our situation today. And the first thing Isaiah speaks, inspired by God, is these words. He says, don't dwell on the past. Verse 18 says, forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. Now, depending on our personalities or our experiences, we tend to view the past in one of two different ways. We either look at the past with with kind of rose-colored glasses. You know, everything was better back then. Or we look at the past with regret or shame or disappointment. And both of these postures will ultimately prevent us from moving forward into the future God has planned for us. When you think about it for a moment, we could probably all think of people who, you know, those sort of people that always constantly hark back to the glory days. You know, life was so much better back in those days. And I remember when kids used to respect their parents and life was so simple. And I remember when our church had the organ and we sang the old hymns. And I remember when Billy Graham filled the MCG and people flocked to the altar. And if we could just get back to those old days and everything would be all okay again. You know, we've probably all heard stuff like that before, and it's, it's certainly good to reminisce on the great things that have happened in the past. But I want you to see what happens for people um, when they do that all the time. All this reminiscing on the past means that in a real sense, these people are still living in the past instead of embracing the present and looking forward to all the opportunities that God has planned for the future. On the other hand, there are people who are hindered by their past. It holds them back. They dwell on their mistakes or their bad experiences they've had. And they go over it again and again in their minds, wishing that it was different, but being crippled by the fact that it wasn't. You know, by dwelling on the past, they're overcome by a sense of shame and regret that stops them progressing or having any hope for the future. I think both of these responses were a real danger for God's people in Babylon. The older generation could easily have harked back to life in Jerusalem and the temple and all the freedom they had in the land as they remembered all the ways that God had miraculously provided for them in the past. But for others, they could have just as easily chosen to dwell on what happened at the time of the exile, the trauma of losing loved ones, the memories of their city being destroyed, the regret of their disobedience, which caused them to lose so much. And so what's God's advice to them in this situation? Well, he says, I want you to forget the former things. Don't dwell on the past. Now, our past, whether it's good or bad, can be very helpful because it helps us to navigate into the future. Uh, We can learn from both our successes and our failures in a way that it will help us to move forward. I see the past very much like a rearview mirror in a car. Those little mirrors are very necessary parts if we're to be safe on the road. We we glance into the rearview mirror and we see what's kind of behind us. 
And that helps us navigate safely forward as we change lanes or make decisions on the journey. It's very helpful. But if we dwell on the rearview mirror, I mean, if that's all we focus on, if it's what we just keep staring at behind us, it would actually go from being helpful to destructive because we'd lose sight of where we're going and we'd potentially crash the car. I think it's exactly the same with our past. It's helpful to glance at and learn from in order to move forward, but we should never dwell on it. At the start of this chapter, God actually takes the people back into their past through Isaiah's words. And he does that to remind them of what he's done in the past in order to give them confidence for what he's going to do in the future. Verses 1 to 3, you've got some wonderful words that are coming up on the screen, but they form the words of a chorus you might remember back in the day if you've been in church for a number of years. It was a chorus called Fear Not, and it went, Fear not, for I am with you, fear not, for I am with you, fear not, for I am with you, says the Lord. I have redeemed you, I have called you by name, child you are mine. When you walk through the waters, I'll be there, and through the flame, you will not No way, be drowned. You know the song? You will not, no way, be burned. For I am with you. And then it went, woo at the end. You know, obviously singing's not my strength. But most of you, or many of you, would know that old chorus. And one of the things I love about singing songs, worship songs, hymns, choruses, is that they bring us back to the beautiful words of Scripture. And when Isaiah mentions the waters in these verses, he's actually taking these people back to the Exodus event. Now, all of them knew this story so well. It's the central event of the whole Old Testament, where God miraculously led his people out of slavery. And through Moses, he parted the Red Sea so that his people could pass through safely. And as their enemies, the Egyptians, pursued them and they entered that same dry land, God caused the walls of the sea to collapse and their enemies were completely wiped out all at once. God's people were saved, delivered and set free. And it was a moment of great victory in their history. And so God causes them to glance back, not to dwell on it, but in order to remind themselves that this is not the first time they found themselves in what seems like a hopeless situation. And last time they were there, God got them through it. And guess what? He can do it again. You know, for us collectively, it's been a tough season in 2020. And the temptation, like the Israelites, is to look back at what we had pre-COVID with rose-colored glasses as we dwell on the past. And we have this attitude, we just want to get back to what we had. And I think that's a danger. But the other danger is that we've become settled in our current practice, a little bit like they did in Babylon. And we've now become used to the comfort of watching church from home in our PJs while we eat our breakfast or with a dog on our lap. And I don't believe either of those responses are what God would want us to do. And if we settle on either of those options, I believe we're missing a huge opportunity to stop, to seek God about what He wants for the future. Because God is the God of of the new. He's always working. He's always looking for people to be obedient as they step forward in faith. And to these people in Babylon, he said to them, don't dwell on the past because I am doing a new thing. Verse 19 says, see, I'm doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? What God was doing was something new. It was totally unexpected for his people. It arose from a time of crisis, but with it came great potential for the future. 
God was on the move and he was going to take these broken, exiled people and by his grace and through his supernatural power and provision, he was preparing their hearts to return to the land where they would rebuild a place for worship that would be a testimony and a reminder of his goodness to all the nations that surrounded them. Now, what really stands out to me in this passage is that God was working before his people recognized it. While they were exiled, while they'd settled, while they were in the midst of all their hopelessness, God declared, I am doing a new thing. But they couldn't yet see it. And it makes me wonder what new things God is doing in our lives through this pandemic. You know, I think crisis It often causes us to lose sight of God's sovereignty. But one of the major themes for Isaiah is that God is sovereign. When all seems lost, God is sovereign. When we're surrounded by enemies, God is in control. When we feel overwhelmed, God is our peace. When we're confused, discouraged, hurting or weak, God is our strength. Even when you're exiled from your country, God still has a plan. Even when the doors of our churches have been closed, God may be opening up new opportunities. Even when we can't see it or feel it, God is still sovereign and there is nothing that takes him by surprise. And he's always doing something new. The question is, do we perceive it? This week I was talking to a very good friend of mine called Carl Beach. He's a pastor of a church called uh, Redeemer King in Chesterfield in the UK. I got to visit him just over a year ago. Seems like a lifetime ago now. Uh, some of you may know him from speaking at the men's convention at Belgrave Heights a couple of years ago. But I've come to love Carl because he's a great encourager. He's uh, one of those people who's just relentlessly optimistic, and he's certainly a man of faith. And if you've watched the news at all, you'll see that in the UK right now, it's one of the worst hit places for coronavirus. They're coming up to a million cases, um, 45,000 deaths, and they have no idea when in the future they'll be able to meet again as a church. It could still be years away. And as they absorb all of that, I think they could easily pine for what they had or they could get comfortable in what they have now. But instead, they're actually seeking God on what he is doing in the midst of this. Their church has been pressing into God in prayer. And Carl was saying they had a whole bunch of money saved. And prior to COVID, they were about to purchase a large warehouse as a place of worship. But he said to me this week that they're being challenged now as they pray about it to instead take that money and buy houses in their region because they feel like God's calling them to help solve homelessness in their community. Carl and his wife just recently sold their own family home and they've now moved into one of the poorest housing estates in their neighborhood and they are training and activating people to meet the needs of the disadvantaged and to also reach those who don't know Jesus with the good news of the gospel. They sense that in the midst of a crisis, God is doing a new thing. And as they perceive that, they are obediently stepping out to see his kingdom come and his will be done on earth as it is in heaven, right there in their community. And by faith, they are trusting that God is going to use this situation for his glory and for the salvation of many people. Now, I'm not advocating for every church to do what Redeemer King Church is doing. That's their specific journey. They're being led by the Spirit in what He wants them to do. But what I am encouraging all of us to do is this. Instead of just rushing back to what we did, I'm encouraging us to ask God what new things He may be wanting to do in this season through us. 
I know that we're all eager to get back together. Um, I'm, I'm certainly feeling that. Meeting together is, you know, it's vital for us as believers. But if we just rush back for the sake of it, we're missing this once-in-a-lifetime moment to reset. This is where glancing back at our journey is really helpful because God has done some great things in our first five years. He's been so gracious to us. But there's no doubt there are still things that we can keep growing in. And so let's grab hold of this moment in prayer and let's think about how we can go deeper in our relationship with God and how we can more effectively become that New Testament faith community that love one another so genuinely that people in our community would look at follow and go, wow, it's extraordinary the way they love one another. How can we effectively, more effectively share the good news in our community and help people as they rebuild aspects of their lives post-COVID? And perhaps one of the most important questions is what sort of disciples do we want to see developed here through this church? These are some of the big questions and um, some of the questions that our reimagination team are prayerfully wrestling through with the hope that as we prepare to meet together again physically, we can bring fresh clarity to our vision and through even clearer, more dedicated focus on Christ, we can push back the forces of darkness and declare the kingdom of light over this community. So I want to encourage you in this season to take on board the words of Isaiah, not to fall for the trap of dwelling on the past. Be thankful for that, absolutely. Learn from it for sure. But instead of dwelling on it, embrace the new things that God has for us to do in the future. You see, what God did for the Israelites as he took them back to rebuild in the land was unexpected, and it was beyond their wildest imagination. And I'm sure that God has things ahead for us that perhaps we haven't even perceived yet. As Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10 says, We are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Isaiah says to the Israelites, forget the former things. Don't dwell on the past. See, I am doing a new thing. I'm making a way in the wilderness. And finally, he reminds them of the purpose of their lives, which is also the purpose of ours. We are God's people chosen by him to declare his praise. Verse 21 says, The people I form for myself, that they may proclaim my praise. Now, we could easily read this passage and say, well, yeah, that's for them and it's not for us. But as we read on in the very next chapter, Isaiah prophesies these words. He says, I will pour out my spirit on your offspring and my blessing on your descendants. Well, guess who he's referring to? He's referring to me, and he's referring to you. We know that Israel was chosen and set apart from day one to be a blessing to all people. Genesis 12, when Abram was called, God says, I'll make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing, and all people on earth will be blessed through you. And we see that promise come to fulfillment in the person of Jesus through his life, death, and resurrection. We know that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And so in Christ, by faith, we have forgiveness of sins. And through his extraordinary grace towards us, we are made a new creation. And we all now look forward and long for the day when he returns to make all things new. But in the meantime, he's doing a new work in and through us. He has poured out his Holy Spirit on us. He has given us the Spirit as our helper and our counselor. He is with us and in us, empowering us to be witnesses of Christ. 
as followers from all nations, we are the family of God. And our mission is to preach the gospel, to make disciples, and to be a blessing to those around us. And so can I encourage you this morning, church, by reminding you that it's no accident that God has placed us here in Officer, in the southeast of Melbourne, for a time such as this. By God's sovereignty here, Sovereignty. He has put us in this place. While this region all around us is exploding with new population and new life. And our vision is the same as it's always been. Our vision is Jesus. We want to know him. We want to become like him. We want to represent him. And our mission is to follow Jesus in our community for his glory. What an exciting future we have. Uh, Let's forget the former things. Let's not dwell on the past, but let's embrace what God is doing. He's doing a new thing, and he's using us to declare his praise in this place for his glory. Let's pray. Lord God, we just want to thank you so much that you're a God of the new. You're always doing new things. And Lord, I pray through the leading and prompting of your Holy Spirit that you would help us to perceive the new things that you're doing in our midst. Lord, we want to represent you. We want to live for you. We want to see Jesus' name lifted high over this community. And we want many people who right now are far away from you to come to know you for the very first time. Lord, we want them to know what it is to be in relationship with you and to journey with you through the ups and downs of life, knowing that you are with us and in us. Lord, we ask that you'd use us in extraordinary ways, in the things that we don't even perceive yet. Lord, I pray that they would blow our minds, that we would look back and go, wow, those things only happened because our God is extraordinary. And so fill our hearts with faith, fill our lives with expectation about all the good things that are to come. And we pray this in the powerful and the life-changing name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Thanks for tuning in to Follow Online. To stay updated, go to follow.church. As the people of God, let's stay connected and follow the words of Jesus to love one another.